So I'd like to invite you to an introduction of somebody that I've followed, a celebrity that I've followed for a long, long time. You'll see on the screens here, this is Kat Von D right here. So Kat Von D is um, an artist, uh, kind of like a reality TV star, a musician, and known um, occultist and practicer of witchcraft for years and years and years. Actually, part of that is what brought her to the celebrity stage and her ability to like create these dark images through tattoos. Surprise, surprise, a tattoo illustration from a tattoo guy. Um, but about a year ago, she completely renounced her involvement in occultism and witchcraft and gave her life to following Jesus. And daily, the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. Now, the response um, has been fascinating. In fact, just a month ago, she, she plugged herself into a local church in Indiana, a Baptist church in Indiana, a conservative Baptist church in Indiana, and was baptized by about the most conservative, old, white Baptist pastor that you could ever imagine. She felt called to this place. She felt, felt called to these people. And she's inviting her tattoo artist and former occultist friends into this small church in Indiana. And daily the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. Can you imagine week two, week three, week four, you've grown up one way in your religious environment in this conservative Baptist church and more and more of these people who don't look like you, smell like you, act like you, understand like you are pouring in through the doors of your church. And the Lord added to their number those daily who were being saved. Now across the world, Kat was in an interview with with uh, a news magazine, actually, and she posted on our social media pages that the response has been, surprisingly to her, very positive from people that, like her old uh, life friends, have been like celebrating her newfound system of faith, have been asking questions. Um, the artist community has been celebrating her newfound found faith, asking questions, her family included. But there's one notable group of people who were calling her out saying, your baptism is fake. There's no way that you're a Christian. This is a celebrity stunt. You're just like trying to, to boost your platform. There's no way that God would meet a person like you. There's no way that God would save a person like you. And there's no way that you should be dunked under the waters of baptism. And this group of people are known as Christians. I'd invite you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 9. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 9. Jesus, may we feel and sense the presence of your spirit still at work in us through an ancient text in an ancient story with ancient people but a present faith, a present spirit, a present encounter with the divine, with the living God that is here and now and with us and loving us and speaking to us. May we be people who are for Cornelius's. May we be people who are for Kat Von D's. May we be people who see each other, who hear you, are empowered by you, gifted by you to serve and to seek those who are lost and become found. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. And it was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance or a state. He fell into the spirit. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. 
in the sheet or sail or mast is the actual word, were all sorts of animals, reptiles, reptiles and birds. And then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, no, Peter declared. I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean or set it apart. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. And the same vision was repeated one, two, three times. Three times the same vision was repeated. And then the sheet or sail was suddenly pulled up to heaven. And Peter was very understandably, very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius's house found Simon's house, and standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them to you. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He's a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews, and a holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night, and the next day he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. The next day they arrived in Caesarea, and Cornelius was waiting for them and had called them together, his relatives and close friends. And as Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter said, pulled him up and said, stand up, stand up. I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Peter told them, you know it's against our Jewish laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to even associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anything or anyone as impure or unclean or profane. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. And Cornelius replied, well, four days ago, I was praying in my house about the same time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your gifts for the poor have been noticed by God. Now, send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once and it was good of you to come. And now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Cornelius is the Kat Von D of the ancient world. So how did we get here? We read just a few verses later, at the beginning of Acts uh, chapter 10, that Cornelius is, um, is a Roman military captain. So he's a centurion. Now it's interesting, Luke's gospel a number of times will repeat interactions with Jesus and centurions. So in the first case, uh, the centurion or Roman guard is concerned, he's a God-fearer as well, probably not the same uh, scenario. He's a Roman centurion again, again, and he he is concerned about somebody from his family who is ill. Uh, And then he sends for Jesus and says, if you just say the word, it'll be good. And Jesus is like, well, I'll come to your house. And what does the Roman officer say? Already knows what religion looks like. Religion excludes, but there's some power at work through this Messiah, Jesus. Says, no, 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 absolutely not. You can't come to my house. I know the rules, but just say the word and my servant 
will be healed. And Jesus steps into this word of, this step of, this uh, covenant, this um, conversion of faith and says, it's done, it's done. Uh, a little bit later on, we see at the, the death side of Jesus hanging on the cross that there's also a centurion standing at the foot of the cross watching what humanity and religion does to somebody who is absolutely innocent and casts no judgment, says, surely this man was innocent, free of blood and was the son of God. And now Luke's gospel continues on through the book of Acts and brings us back to a scenario of Cornelius, a centurion, a Kat Von D, an outsider, someone who has nothing to do with a religious institution at the time. And God speaks to him. So Cornelius is praying in the sixth hour of the day. So it's the day before Peter's vision. He, um, Cornelius is uh, he, he's an Ital- part of the Italian regiment, so to speak. And as a captain in the Roman army, he would have been in charge of about a hundred men. So in charge of a, a host of people, all trying to keep alive the military con- um, complex of Rome at the time. And Rome um, affirmed that there is one God and his name is Caesar, but you can practice a multitude of gods so, so long as you remain under the submission of the main power, the central power, the one God who is Caesar and Lord. Now, religions are feel, can feel free to practice any way that they want, but it all has to come under the same umbrella, the same way of doing things. And so Cornelius is, he says he's, did you notice it says he's a God-fearer. Now, that's not an accidental phrase that we see in the New Testament. A God-fearer was somebody who had respect for the Jews in particular. We see three or four instances of this throughout the gospel writings in particular, and Cornelius is one of them, someone who fears God, and how does that play out in his, in their daily life? Well, he gives to the poor and he prays. If you wanna know one of the fruits of like what faith looks like in the ancient world and today, are the poor around you, around me, around us, and are we serving them? And is there an intimate connection and conversation with the divine on a regular basis? And so he's praying, And an angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord, the manifest presence of the divine appears to him, not in a dream, appears to him and says, Cornelius, God has seen your gifts to the poor and your, uh, how you pray, how you connect. And Cornelius has no, like, how, I, I don't understand how this works. And then God gives him instruction to go and send for Simon Peter who is staying a long way away. Now it's interesting, Simon Peter at the time, um, Peter has started to to travel. Now remember the, the, the call of Jesus by the spirit at the end of the gospels was not just like stay put and at some point you'll figure out what to do. I don't know. It was like, no, stay put and you will be um, empowered by, filled with, uh, and energized by the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the counselor, who will give you your instructions of what to do, which is to go out to the ends of the earth, proclaiming this good news through the Jews to the Gentiles. You were meant to be a blessing. This is the call. And the Spirit, the counselor, will give you the words to say, will fall on you and will give you the words 
to say, and it will overtake the known world at the time. So as a good Jewish boy or Jewish girl or disciple, uh, your brain would immediately be um, traveled back to Joel, uh, the book of Joel, which is a a prophet that said, in those days, the Holy Spirit, the the presence of of God will come upon you and all ages and stages of people will prophesy, will have visions and dreams. Prophesy, have visions and dreams. We've just had this happen with Cornelius the day before, where somebody who is an outsider in the religious economy of of the time, in the religious mind at the time, has had an encounter with the presence of God. As a Jewish boy or girl, you would beg for this, and now it's happening outside of the restrictions, the confines, the sandbox of the religious world, the religious people, and the religious mind. How great and generous is the mind and heart of God through the spirit that daily the Lord is adding to those, uh, to their number, those who are being saved in a way that they did not expect. So Cornelius makes, starts to, he gathers some of his men uh, and does the travel to Joppa. Now Cornelius is in Caesarea, which is about a hundred kilometers northeast of Jerusalem where everything got started. Now, where is Simon Peter? Not in Jerusalem anymore. Now he's in Joppa uh, by the sea. He started to travel, which is so fascinating. Fascinating. The earliest, um, uh, title that the, the, the followers, the closest followers of Jesus are given is disciples, right? So they are ones who are learning from the Christ, who are learning from the rabbi, who are learning this new way of understanding what it means to be human and what it means to be a human loved by God. And now the tune has changed. They're now called apostles, which is from the Greek word apostolos, which means called out, called out, sent out, made holy, gifted by the Spirit, and sent out into the known world to communicate the gospel of the good news of grace of Jesus through the Jews to the Gentiles. So Cornelius is a non-Jew. He's Roman. He's military. He's military. This is like like a, um, a colonel in the U.S. Army right now. All of the power, all of the might, and he sends for, they travel with, Uh, He sends for Simon Peter in the home of uh, Simon the Tanner. He's visited by an angel and he's compelled to learn more, learn more. He sends for Peter and he invites, uh, he invites Peter back. And so they've got like a few days journey, right? Like it's about 30 to 60 kilometers where Simon Peter is staying to travel to Caesarea to meet with a home of like a, a military family. Let that sink in for a second. This is a nightmare scenario if you are Simon Peter. So it's interesting, like I give this kind of verbal inflection to when Simon is like, uh, I'm here, like who are you and why have you sent for me? This could have very feasibly been uh, constituted as a threat. Remember, the Roman Imperial Guard, the, the, the centurions of the time, were just responsible for killing Jesus not long ago. And now another Roman guard, a Roman captain, is sending for um, like Peter, who Jesus has just earlier said, uh, I will build my church with you leading the way. Somebody who has denied me three times, but I'll make it clear, you'll confess, you'll come back to me, and I will work through you and your brothers and sisters, the earliest disciples. So imagine you're praying uh, up on the roof, which is the next part of the vision. The next day, Simon Peter is praying up on the roof uh, and lunch is being prepared around noon, like you do. And likely he's caught up in the spirit again, in in a trance, right? Um, And he he sees a vision of a sail. Now he's by the seaside, all of this like symbolic um, uh, 
picture is for a reason. He sees what looks like a sail or a sheet settle down by four corners, the four corners of the world uh, settles down and he sees all sorts of animals, birds, and reptiles. Now, in the religious mind of the time, what are you thinking these are for? In our Leviticus series, we actually covered the... the um, uh, compartmentalization of each of these animals. So animals for food and sacrifice, birds for Thanksgiving offering, reptiles for the atonement of sin, but you definitely do not touch them. In particular, one reptile, a snake, which we'll get into that in just a second. So animals, birds, and reptiles lowered down. Immediately, you would expect that God would be like, sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Kill and sacrifice, kill and sacrifice. And what does the Spirit of God say to Simon Peter? Peter, Peter, take, kill, and what's the last part? Eat. What is happening? Simon Peter, take, kill, and eat. Three animals, three instructions. Now, what has just happened uh, with Peter uh, a little while earlier? He's been uh, warming himself around a fire as Jesus' trial goes on. He denies Jesus within the construct of the temple, just outside of the temple uh, three times. Now, if you're Peter, what are you thinking here? Okay, this is another test. I want to make good on the failure that I've just had. No, Lord. No, 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 no. I have kept all the Jewish rules of kosher, of cleanliness and sacrifice since I was young. No, Lord. Never, never, never would I do this. Never, 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 never. Sacrifice for sure. Taking the animals and offering them back to you for sure. But the surprise of God offering the animals back to Peter and the known world. And then God makes it clear through his spirit, no, do not call anything unclean that I have called clean. Do not call anything unclean that I have called clean. And then Luke records that this vision happens three times, three times, three times. No, Peter, take, kill, eat. No, Peter, take, kill, eat. No, Peter, take, kill, and eat. Not only is Jesus, by his spirit, reminding this disobedient disciple that his, his sin is, is accounted for, is covered, but that the forgiveness that he's experienced by the Spirit is now going to make its way to the Corneliuses, the Gentiles, and the Kat Von D's. Everything is now changing. Now, it's really interesting, earlier on, Jesus would have been um, hearkened back to uh, Mark chapter 7. So Mark chapter 7, Jesus does the same thing. Jesus does the same thing. So he's interrupted by the Pharisees, the school of which Paul came out of, who was persecuting the, the church at this time. Uh, they, they kind of question him and are trying to trap him. Like, why don't you keep our ceremonial food and judicial laws? Like your disciples, especially, like they do whatever they want. They sometimes adhere to religious law and kosher law, but then they don't. Like, what is the deal? And Jesus, in a very matter of fact language, goes, you don't get it. Like, it's not actually, but the food, the food and the sacrifice is a symbol of a greater reality of a spiritual conversion that is happening in and through you. It is not what goes inside the body that makes it unclean. Like you eat the food and then you excrete it and that's it. It's just a normal function of human daily life, but it is what is in the heart that renders you clean or unclean, willing to follow or not, willing to make peace and show love or kill and make war. And then Mark's gospel, Mark translates this episode with Jesus. Uh, he interprets the, the meaning and he says, in saying this, Jesus declared all things clean. 
Jesus declared all foods clean. So Peter's mind would have been brought back to that reality. Okay, I see what's going on here. He travels to um, Caesarea and he meets with uh, this household, this household that is gathered because uh, um, a Roman captain has sent for them. And what happens? So it's interesting, the religious mind takes over. Now, preachers be preaching, teachers be teaching, like time is but a construct. Uh, We can go for hours and hours and hours. And this is exactly what happens with Simon and the comedy that's injected into not just like the gospel writings, but also like the New Testament letters. There are preachers who get long-winded and the Holy Spirit interrupts them. And this is what happens here. So Peter has his speech. He's like, okay, so I'm in the home. Nobody wants to kill each other. Uh, I'll give the, the historical retrospective that I've given a few chapters before and a few chapters before that. There's power in the sermon. I've practiced it in front of a mirror. I've nailed my illustration and my comedic wrap up and benediction. It's going to be amazing. And it's interesting what happens. Even uh, verse 44, even as Peter was still speaking, Still going, hasn't landed the conclusion yet. The Holy Spirit fell upon the people who are listening to the message and the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them, those that were gathered in the home of this Kat Von D, Cornelius the Centurion, somebody who likely was practicing polytheism while also adhering to this like interest in monotheism through Yahweh, was in charge of upholding the military complex at the time. The Holy Spirit fell on all these people and the disciples, the apostles heard them speaking in other tongues. And then Peter said, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they've received the Holy Spirit just as we did? We should all be saying, whoa, oh, oh, wow, just as we did. So he gave orders for them, this far outside the religious mind and construct, this person who practiced paganism, polytheism, uh, multiple gods, the worship of Caesar, the upholding of militarism, might makes right, the peace through Rome or you die, the Holy Spirit during a Jewish sermon falls on this military home. All of them receive the gift of tongues, the ability to speak in other languages so this message can come out. And Peter is deeply convicted and has his mind changed. Does anybody object to these people being baptized? Is this a fake baptism? Is it just for a new platform to uphold Roman celebrity? No, the gift of the Spirit has fallen upon them, has given them the ability to speak. We must baptize them. How good and gracious and deep is the love of God. So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And afterwards, Cornelius asked him, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. My friends, this section of scripture should rock our sense of ecclesiology, of what it means to understand the church of Jesus, of what it means to understand the work of the Spirit through the church of Jesus, and of what it means for the Spirit of Jesus to work in and through the church of Jesus to invite others, to invite others, to invite others others. Now, it's interesting, this is where we start to get the, um, th- this new terminology of church. So up until this point, they're meeting in homes, 
the disciples are, the apostles are, they're meeting in homes, and then they go to the temple to pray, and then all of a sudden the language and the, the place shifts. They are now the living temple within which the Spirit of God dwells and speaks out of, empowers them with gifts to serve the world through the church. Now, the word church is the, is, is the word ecclesia. It's a borrowed term that Jesus, uh, some scholars think, coined. And it was actually a very Greekified term that was like a, a senatorial gathering, uh, called out ones, called together for a purpose. So it was a group of people who got together with a shared idea, a shared sense of consciousness, and said, we should do something about this. And Jesus like, yep, church. That's what it is. It is not people locked in a room together on a Sunday morning, uh, just like eating and eating and taking and taking and eating and eating and taking and taking. It's a people gathered together, reminded of their mission for the Spirit of God to go into the rest of the known world, to be a blessing, to be a blessing and not a curse, to help others and not harm, to invite the Corneliuses and the Kat Von D's and not to shut them out. This is good news, my friends. This is good news, my friends. This is good news, my friends. And is what we are called into. We are the Corneliuses. We are. And by the grace of God, the Spirit of God is reaching out to invite us. You're here because of the work of the Spirit through these early religious leaders who said God's love is way bigger than we ever thought it could be. And God's love is reaching into the known world and will never stop. And will never stop. So three principles that I think um, God is bringing us back to through Acts chapter 10. Number one, God shows no favoritism. It seems that God cares more about people than about rules, uh, verses 11 to 16, that God uh, shows no favoritism, that God cares more about like the encounter that, that he has with us as his loved kids and not so much about rules and religion. And then God is moving us towards love as the new law. So number one, God cares more about people than rules. Number two, God cares more about a divine encounter with himself, us with him, as opposed to a defined set of religious codes uh, and religion. And then number three, that love is the new law, that love matters more than law. Now, on kosher and cleanliness, this is really interesting because um, Peter, when he's uh, talking to Cornelius, do you notice what he does not say? He does not meet with Cornelius and says, okay, so it seems that God is teaching me through you, through your pagan customs, that I can just eat whatever I want, right? This could have been a license for the earliest Jews to just start practicing non-kosherness, like just eating whatever they want. Instead, Peter, Peter minds out the larger principle. It seems that God shows no favorites, shows no favorites. God is not exclusive. This is what I've learned through this exercise in food, that Jesus really does care about the Gentiles, the Greeks, the Romans, the, the Jimmies, the Carsons, the Bruces, the Corneliuses, that God cares about his entire creation and will do anything possible to reach them, and that this is good news. In the end of Peter's sermon, he says exactly that. Verse uh, um, 34 and 35. Then Peter replied, I see very, very clearly that God shows no favoritism in every nation. He accepts those who fear him. What? I see very clearly. This is the founder of the church. This is somebody who's steeped in religion and wants to get it right, has just seen his Messiah killed and resurrected. If 
ever ego were going to be at play, we're the people, we're the ones, we're going to do it. It's our way or the highway. This would be the moment. And yet Jesus is interrupted through a pagan conversation uh, and then a conversion and a, a baptism of people that are outside of the mission and will of God in his mind. And he says, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism in every nation. He accepts those who fear him. He accepts those who fear him in every nation. He accepts those who fear him and do what is right. And this is the message of good news for the people of Israel. Listen, listen, listen to this. Amazing. Listen to this, my friends. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel. One translation I read says, this is the heart of the gospel. Are you listening, my friends? This is it right here. The gospel in like 15 words. There is peace with God through Jesus. This is the good news for the people of Israel and the Gentiles, that there is peace with God through Jesus, who is Lord of all. This is good news for Israel, for the nations. This is good news for the Gentiles, for the Romans. There's no longer any barrier. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that stands between us and God. Relationship with God is free and open to whoever, whoever leans in, fears God, obeys, and cares for the world, the poor, the hurting. This is the mission of the church. There is peace in Jesus, no more exclusion, nor dividing lines. And so my friends, brothers and sisters, thousands of years Later, sitting in the context of a gathered body called the church, the ecclesia, the called ones, with the spirit living within us as a church community that's being called out into the world to show love, what does an invitational church look and act like? What is it that we are meant to be about as a church gathered under the umbrella of the ethos, the love, grace, and inclusion of Jesus. I think Acts 10 shows us the spirit at work really in three, three penetrating questions, three questions that should both encourage and haunt us that we learn here. Number one, God, who are you asking me to love that maybe I haven't? Number two, God, who are you inviting me to include in this good news that maybe I've ignored? And number three, God, will you bring conversation and connection to my dinner table to, the, to those who aren't like me? Friends, if we've lost those questions, we've, we've lost the mission of the gospel of grace in Jesus. I'm going to invite us to close our eyes. And I want you to ask the Spirit of God to bring these people, these conversations, these realities, and these answers into your heart and mind. And believing that God, by His Spirit, will answer, will bring those people, bring those conversations, will bring those scenarios to your mind. So number one, Jesus, by your Spirit, would you speak to us? As a church and individuals gathered here, who are you asking us to love that maybe we haven't? Spirit, speak to us. God, who are you inviting me to include that maybe I've ignored? Spirit, speak to us. And number three, God, will you please bring conversation and connection to my dinner table to those who aren't like me. Brothers and sisters, may we continue to be a church that is called out 
with purpose, not locked in with fear. And may we be a church that invites and does not exclude. May we be a church with an absolutely huge dinner table that breaks bread with people that don't always look or sound exactly like us. And may we be a church that always makes room for the Peters and the Corneliuses and the Kat Von D's and a loud voice together we all said in Jesus' name, amen, amen, and may it be so.